Hey everybody, I am Gina Bianca, life and business coach, salon owner, educator, mastermind mentor, and your host of the Gina Bianca podcast. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Gina Bianca podcast. Today, I have one of my good friends, Ryan Whedon, on the show with me today. He is awesome. He is a hairpreneur in all senses of the word. He is the owner and founder of Masters of Balayage. He is putting on this incredible life-changing event called the Mob Hero Retreat, which he actually asked me to be a part of. And I'm just so excited for everything Ryan's doing. He had me on his podcast. We love to work together and partner with stuff. And getting to know him, he's just been so awesome. So I asked him to come on the show today to share his story. And I'm just so excited if you haven't heard of him, like I'm sure you have, (laughs) but if you haven't, Ryan, please welcome to the podcast, introduce yourself for everybody. Hey Gina, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I know we've been trying to get this on the books for a while and we've just been so busy, but I'm super stoked to be here and thank you all for listening. My name is Ryan Whedon. You can find me on Instagram at ryan.whedon and, uh, I am excited to share my story. I've shared it a lot of times and I'll try to make it not as quite as long-winded as it can be. Because uh, as Gina had mentioned, I am a hairpreneur and you might ask, like, what is a hairpreneur? And to me, it's it, it, what it means is that I've, I've managed to create a business, a, a, a life in hair when hair wasn't even necessarily my, my go-to um, trade. I didn't really have a trade. I, for years and years, I was searching to try to find out where I fit in in the world. And to, I probably, I don't even know when I picked up my first comb to actually comb my hair, but it, it wasn't probably until like high school where I, you know, maybe senior pictures and parted it really hard over to the side. And I looked at like a total moron I was gonna say douche but <laughs> that's kind of what I looked like in my senior pictures I just look like my mom on here <laughs> yeah oh, I know I know I just don't want to like cross any lines with with anything that that's insensitive um but yeah I, I looked like my mom basically parted my hair for my senior picture like that's how bad it was I had this oversized suit on and so hair wasn't something that I fell into naturally I really wanted to uh be kind of like a showman, I guess. I was never very good at acting though, I, I, but I wanted to be an actor. I grew up watching like Tom Cruise and uh, Brad Pitt and I really, and Johnny Depp. And I just like really loved what they did and the roles that they had. And I'm like, wow, it'd be so cool to be on the, the stage and have those types of roles. And so I got into acting in uh, high school. I took up my first acting class and I was terrified. I remember going on stage one day and we were doing this lip syncing thing. And I tried to pretend I was Tom Cruise and I just bombed. I think I fell. I looked like such a moron and I never wanted to get back on stage again. So I decided to do what my parents had told me to do, go to college and become a doctor or become something (laughs) that has some kind of a future that is more or less planned or set in stone so that when you graduate, you're going to be making close to a six figure salary. And then it's just going to get uh, greater and greater from there, the more years and years you put in. So it's one of those, not like conservative types of, of directions, but I, uh, it really kind of was, it's like you pick a safe yet, um, yet a solid career, something that you can really have for, for years and years and, and make a lot of money. And that way you can have a rich, happy life because of it. So I'm like, okay, sure. I didn't really have any other ideas. I knew acting wasn't for me. And 
I went to college, got into uh, Florida State University. I really tried to get as far away from my parents as possible. I love them, but I just was ready for a change and I wanted to go where it was a little bit sunnier than I was where I was living in Maryland and Virginia. And it was okay there, but I really wanted to go somewhere closer to the beach and I had never been west past Colorado. So I didn't know anything about California. I had California dreams, but I had never visited California. So I didn't really know much about it. And I had an aunt that lived in Florida, in Tallahassee, actually, uh, near Florida State. So I'm like, well, you know what? I'll see if I can go there. So got into there. I mean, it wasn't like the toughest school to get into. I mean, there are, you know, people that graduate from there and they do really well. But it, it was kind of like more of a, although I really wanted to go there, it was kind of more of a fallback option. Uh, you know, nothing against any Knowles out there that are like, hey, I struggle to get in there. Well, whatever, it's college, have fun. So I got into Florida State and I basically didn't get much done there. I took classes. I took your typical science classes and going in that direction of, yeah, I'll be a doctor. Sure. Like it's an easy thing to do. Right. Of course, I'd never really had a great science brain. I was always pretty good at math and, and whatnot. And, you know, it's a solid B student, but for most of these people that are doctors or even wanting to go to med school, it's like, you need not only a 4.0, you need like AP class, you need like a 5.0 or 5.7, whatever it is to get into anything past, uh, your typical four-year college. So whatever, I was still kind of going through the motions. I was getting my Bs uh, and I just started doing a lot of drugs. <laughs> I joined a fraternity and I'm like, you know what? This is just, I'm having fun. I'm going out late at night. I'm experiencing a lot of things. I, I was a victim of who I was hanging out with. And although I had some great friends in college, I, I'm not going to say I hung out with the wrong people, but I, I was searching to find out who I really was. And, and I did that uh, within an exploratory phase where I was just trying to alter my, my, my state. Cause I wasn't happy. I was always kind of a little bit depressed as a, as a kid. And, and, uh, and I think I can, that's a lot of it stems from when I lost my father at age of 13. So I just was overcome with loneliness ever, th ever since that. And, uh, that carried over into my college. And I was, I think that was another reason I was trying to fill this void. So I ended up, just as I said, doing a lot of drugs, staying out late, lots of drinking, very unhealthy lifestyle. Thankfully, I noticed I was heading in a direction that wasn't wasn't going to benefit me. So I'm like, I got to get out of here. You know, I, I I learned a lot, but I need to transfer out of here and and find f find a, a new path. So that's when I I struggled to get some more some more B's, a couple B pluses here and there, maybe an occasional A in my last couple of semesters, and was able to transfer finally out to California. Again, I'd never I'd visited California one time um, when my parents had actually moved out there while I was at college. I was like, thanks, you couldn't have moved out there earlier so I could actually have checked out California, but they were in the, the North Bay area. And I went out there and I, and I kind of loved it. And I still hadn't experienced Southern California. So I was like, I like California. I think I want to be here. I need to get out of Florida State. Where can I go? And more or less, uh, more importantly, where can I get into with my GPA? So I looked at the different schools, the different UCs, the different state schools, and I found that the coolest looking place, because I hadn't actually visited uh, it, um, was either San Diego or uh, Santa Barbara. And I, I applied to both and I ended up getting into University of California at Santa Barbara. And I accepted it and I, was, I set my moving date, got my truck and everything. This is before I even had visited the school. I just saw aerial photographs of like, oh, so waves actually crash on the shore by the classes. So you can actually see that. I'm like, this is, yep, going, done. So I ended up doing that and going there. And uh, and 
started to get back on track. I started to take my science classes again and, and still move in that direction. Of course, I had done so much back tracking that I, for me to become a doctor, I mean, it just wasn't gonna, it wasn't in the, in the cards. I just kept going through the motions though, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life by taking science classes. And then I ended up taking some calculus classes and failing and God, this is just talking about school and college is just it's boring the hell out of me right now. So I wanna get, get through this. So I got to my senior year and I'm like, I'm not gonna become a doctor. This is not gonna happen. I hate it. As I get more into these even deeper classes like organic chemistry and all these, these classes that are taking over my life and these labs that are taking over my life, I decided I, I can't do this anymore. And I decided I'm gonna become an actor. So I'm like, you know what? I, I was afraid to get on stage in high school, but you know what? Now I'm, I don't care. It's like, I'm going to have this regret for the rest of my life if I don't give it a shot. So senior year, pretty much against everything that my parents had, had pushed me to do. I'm like, I had a conversation with them and I told them, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be going to med school or anything like that. It's just not really in the cards. Uh, I want to be an actor and I'm going to change my major to dramatic arts and graduate with that. And uh, they're, I can't remember their exact reaction, but I probably tuned it out because it was such a bad reaction. So I don't remember it. <laughs> I have a good way of hiding past traumas. And it was probably one of those traumas in my life where, where they probably ripped me a new one and then said, fine, do whatever you want. So I graduated dramatic arts and, uh, and then I moved to New York city after that to, to, um, pursue life as an actor. And I loved, loved, loved New York city, fell in love with the, the hustle and bustle of the city and took acting jobs wherever I could. They weren't, they weren't really offering them out quite so much. You know, you think like, oh, you're gonna be an actor. It's gonna be fun to go from audition to audition. It sucks. It's a terrible, terrible lifestyle. And all the, all the way along, I'm just taking out more and more credit card debt, paying for voice lessons, for acting classes, for theater workshops, so I can movement classes, so I can work on my skills. So that way when I, I'm more prepared to earn one of these roles, of course, thinking that like one day I was going to get one of these big roles that's going to pay off all these debts, it just didn't happen. I did a couple of cool things here and there, but I think most of the cool things that I did as far as on, on, on any film or, or TV or commercials, they weren't really paid. <laughs> like They were mostly like some student films or this one independent film I did. It was called Dorian Blues. I had this pretty cool scene in that. Um, and uh, I was really excited. I'm like, hey, you can rent it. It's pretty cool. But it, it was... Um, it didn't, they didn't really pay me. They, they paid for my meals and a train ride to get out to film it and everything like that. But it's not like I got a paycheck from that. So all in all, my credit card debt just kept building. And before I knew it, I was probably, I don't know, 30, 40 grand in debt. Cause uh, I just uh, kept thinking like, I'm going to get a big payday. I'm going to start to pay it off. Like the monthly payments weren't bad. I'm like, okay, it's like 400 a month, but then it was 500 a month, 600 a month. And then I'm like, holy shit, I'm really digging myself in a hole. I need to get a roll fast. And because I didn't have anything to fall back on, I thought that was a good thing. Like I'm going all in, like I have to make this work. I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to be successful, but acting in that acting world, isn't really one of those worlds that really pays, pays you back for putting in all the time and effort. It's more about relationships. It's more about finding that perfect role. It's a timing thing and you gotta be good. And I just wasn't very good. I wasn't much of a threat. New York, they say you gotta be a triple threat, which is you gotta be able to act. You got to be able to dance and you got to be able to sing. Well, I couldn't sing or dance for shit. <laughs> and I could barely act like I was okay. But when it came to 
press the record button or read these lines, you know, read these sides and, 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 and in an audition for a part, I didn't really come through that well. So I wasn't much of a threat at all. After two years of doing that, I'm dead broke. Uh, I was there, uh, then, then, uh, nine 11 happened and I was there for that. I was living on the bank of the East river of, of, um, where was I Brooklyn? Um, not where, where was I? I was in Brooklyn. Um, God, I can't remember where I was living, but I was, I was in, I was in Brooklyn, uh, Williamsburg, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. You can just edit all that flubbering out. <laughs> I was in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It was, uh, it was very up and coming at that time. Now it's like just an extension of the city. It's nuts. It's awesome. But right then it was coming up and there were really good parts, really bad parts, but it was really an amazing experience. Of course, nine 11 wasn't an amazing experience. You know, I had a roommate that was moving out that morning. I was waking up and getting ready to start my day and, and uh, she was, she was moving out and then she ran up in the morning while I'm having my coffee. And she said, Ryan, she looked like she had just seen a ghost. She's like completely white. She said, Ryan, I just saw a plane hit the world trade center. And I said, I'm sorry, what? She said, go on the roof. So we were on the third floor of this little apartment and then we had access to the roof went up to the roof and sure enough, the tower was smoking or actually both towers were smoking at that point. Cause when she, as she was running up the second plane hit and we got up on the roof and just like the rest of the world, we're watching in complete awe and shock and just, it, it was unbelievable, of course. And, uh, it was, it was that moment that I just got like a lot of people suddenly filled with fear and uncertainty and and throughout the day started questioning what I was doing in my life. And, and I started to look ahead and wondering, okay, you know, I, I've, I've done the acting thing. Is this something viable? And I know I didn't have all these thoughts on that day, but from that week that follows and that day was all about like, are, are we going to be attacked even more? Like what's happening? There's, you know, F-15s flying overhead constantly. And it just felt like we were under attack there. Um, yeah, but then, the next couple of weeks and days that followed, it was all about like, who am I? Like, what am I doing? Do I want to be an actor? Cause I'm not really acting. I'm more just, I have two or three restaurant jobs and I do the, have these stupid gigs every now and then that pay, you know, 500 bucks here, 500 bucks there, 200 bucks here. So basically I was, I was a, a glorified restaurant worker and you know, obviously nothing wrong with being a restaurant worker, but when your goal is to be an actor, on screen or even on stage, it just wasn't going in that direction. It was kind of like that, that, that goal of being a doctor. It's like, of course I wanted to be an actor. I didn't want to be a doctor, but neither of them looked like they were going to happen. So that's when I decided to, you know, about a month later, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the city. I'm going to go back and figure my shit out again. <laughs> so I, I moved back in with my parents, I think for the second or third time in my life it was just that's like the most humiliating thing like the first time you're just like you know hey i'm back and it was kind of like a normal thing you know returning back to your parents but i think that was my second or third time and they were living in vegas at the time because they had moved seems like almost as much as i had uh, they were in vegas and i lived with, with them for a little bit and got a bartending job because i was got, got really good at bartending <laughs> from being all those all those years uh, in the city trying to be an actor uh, and I worked on the strip at this place called Insomnia. And that's pretty much how I felt most of the time. I would start working at about 11 p.m. at night. And I would get uh, home uh, to my parents' house about 7 a.m. And 
I would eat, they would make breakfast. I would join them for breakfast and I'd go to sleep <laughs> and I'd wake up at like four or five in the afternoon and get ready to go back to work. So I did that for about six months. And then I realized, well, this isn't very fun either. So I wasn't planning on that being, um, like a, a lifetime choice to stay in Vegas and, and, and work at a, a nightclub. Uh, but I was just trying to think things. And then I remember it was funny enough. I, I got really stoned one night. And, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to move back to California. I don't know why it just feels right. It was in my gut and it's felt right. So I moved back to Santa Barbara. And of course I was still pretty much, um, massively in debt, but I, my parents were started to help me out with that, with my debt. And, and, uh, and, uh, if I remember correctly, it wasn't shortly after long after that, that my, my father surprised me one day and he, he, he said, I'm, I just paid off your debt. All right. You know, it was like 30 grand or something and he paid it off. And I was like, you know, thank you. Thank you so much. Like, you know, I was in tears. It was just incredible. Um, That's and amazing. yeah, yeah. Sorry. I didn't have any, even given you a chance to talk yet. No, no. I'm just like <laughs> deeply, I'm, I'm totally listening. <laughs> Please keep awesome. going. Okay. Wait, so, can I ask one question? How old yeah, were you when you moved back with your parents the second time? So let's see when I was in, when I moved back in Vegas, I must've been 22. Let's see, cause I graduated, moved to New York for probably I was like 19, 20, was I even 21. No, I was 21, 20. I was probably 23 or maybe 24. 20, yeah. You made it sound like 24. you were way older. When yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, just yeah. like Ryan. Cause like yeah. that, like that's such a normal story for so many people. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, I'm sure so many can relate to just taking a little while to figure it out and you've mm -hmm. become so successful. Like it's just all learning experience, but I just wanted mm -hmm. you to keep going. So I'm just okay. listen intently. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. All right. So I, where was I? I'm back. My parents paid off my, my debt, which was incredible. Uh, my dad even gave me his old motorcycle because I didn't have a car. Uh, so I was, I, I was, I felt like I was a new person. I was starting over again and I started taking uh, city class colleges and I don't know why, but I'm like, okay, acting's not working. Uh, doctor didn't work. Well, maybe I'll be a physical therapist. And I'm thinking like, that's easier or something. It might be a little bit easier, but it's not. I mean, you still got to take all the same classes and then you just decide you want to go to med school. You want to become a physical therapist. <laughs> I just started doing that. And then I don't know how many cadaver classes I had where I was just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to do this. And, and then again, it was just taking over my life and I wasn't happy being in the lab all the time. But in this journey in Santa Barbara, I met a, a girl whose mom was the hairstylist and you're like, Oh, we finally get to the hair here. And so her mom, uh, after spending some time going back and forth and, and meeting her parents and hanging out with her mom, she had said, Hey, Ryan, have, uh, you know, kind of like, I see that you really don't know what the F you want to do. Um, have you ever thought about doing hair? And I said, no, <laughs> look at my hair. No, I have never thought about doing hair. She said, well, you know what? Male hairdressers can do really well in this business. There's not many of them. You're kind of a commodity and women love to get their hair done by, you know, good looking men. And I was like, one, thank you for comment, complimenting me. And two, I've never actually thought about that. And, and, uh, you know, I'm like, but I'm like, I I'm open. I was, I was kind of, I was really open to any new opportunities. And I, I knew from my past that I've tried a lot of things and none of them seem to work out. So heck, why not? What, 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 where, where do I start? So I looked into different schools and it turns out that 
Santa Barbara had a community college that I could afford because uh, although my debts were paid off, I really wasn't making much money at all. I was working at, I think, Trader Joe's and um, although they paid more than most places, I just, it's still not a lot to, to maybe put uh, 10 or 20,000 into like a Paul Mitchell or, or Tony and Guy school or something like that. So I was like, I can afford this. Why not? Let's give it a shot. So of course I enrolled, uh, quit all my other classes, but enrolled in this. And it was easy kind of just to transfer over to that. First day I get in there. I'm one of two guys. I'm the only straight one. And, uh, and then it's just like a sea of beautiful women. And they're all looking at me like kind of the way that her mom said they would look at me like, can you do my hair? And I'm like, there could be something to this. <laughs> so then I'm like, all right, this is cool. I I'd, I'd never held a blow dryer before. And then, uh, but as we got more into the training, you know, you train for like a month or so before they put you on the floor or whatever it is. Uh, it was definitely, I was like, I don't know if you'd say two left hands or two left feet, but uh, it was just very awkward at first trying to figure out how to, how to, use these new skills and, and build these new skills. But, but it was cool because I feel like I'm blessed in having kind of like that, that technical side of my brain, but also that creative side, um, where I looked at it like, oh, this is just a new skill that I have to learn. Once I learn the skill and it makes sense to me, then I can be more creative with it. And then I really started to love it. And I started to do everybody's hair in there and, you know, the occasional hair fried, somebody's hair off but you know that's what beauty school's for but i just had a great time doing it and 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 that's how i really started to get into hair um and uh, i should probably go a little bit further into the story because you asked me how i got into hair and that's how i got into hair but now like how did i get to here no ryan <clears throat> we love getting to know you on a deeper okay. level so it's great okay <laughs> cool 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 i know i'm talking kind of fast but i know there's a no, lot to the great. story okay cool it's great awesome so I did this school for, it was like about a year, about a year long in California. I think it was like 1600 hours. It's been such a long time. I can't remember. So I graduated in 2003, 2004, and then I wanted to get a high-end job right away or as fast as possible because I wanted to work at a high-end salon and make that high, those high-end dollars. But of course, I didn't have any real-world experience, just like anybody that's trying to get a job somewhere that requires experience. It's like, how do you get that first job to get the experience to get the job you want? So I'm like, okay. I don't want to go and be an assistant for two or three years. I don't have time. I'm in my mid twenties. Like I, I, I don't want to start doing this at 30 when I should be a doctor. <laughs> I don't want to start building my clientele. I want to have my clientele and be making those high end dollars. So I'm like, what can I do now to get experience fast and then go into a high end salon and, and as much as I hate to say it, but fake it till I make it. And so what I decided to do is I'm going to go get a job at Supercuts. I looked into their program and it's actually not, a, at the time it wasn't a bad program. It was like two or three weeks of intense training where of course you're going to learn mostly men's cuts, clipper cuts, flat tops, like everything across the board. And, uh, it, and I did that and I, and I got really, really confident really fast because I feel like if short haircuts are the hardest around, like anybody can kind of, learn a couple of layered haircuts and kind of fake your way through it. Uh, but, you, but the short hairstyles are probably the biggest challenges for most hairstyles because it's like they, they there's no room for error, whether it's a guy's cut, whether it's a pixie, there's no totally room agree. for error. Right. Yeah. I so, still struggle. Like I, mm -hmm. I can't even pick Go to up super a, pair, cuts. a pair of clippers. <laughs> no, I just like, I feel for anyone who struggles mm -hmm. with that because I'm creative in so many ways, but just, mm -hmm. Take Absolutely. A it's a, skill. it's a different skill. Absolutely different and skill. A lot of training and dedication. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I so I did that and and I and I worked at Supercuts for I think three months and it's funny because after that two or three week training program it's like okay you're free you're on the floor to take clients you're probably going to take clients every 15 minutes <laughs> 15 to 20 minutes I mean the the line is there it's like full clientele right away I mean it's not like they're your clientele it's Supercuts and they're there for a quick cut but it's like every single day from day one on the floor I probably had eight to 15, 20 cuts a day. And I did that for three months. And there were some women that came in, but mostly it was men. But the thing is, it didn't really matter. It was real world, real hand experience dealing with real people. And of course, I, because there were short haircuts and I was, I was scissor over combing and, and point cutting everything. I had band-aids on every single finger because I was just in that rush to get fast haircuts done. I just was cutting myself all the time, but that's kind of like, you know, that's what happens when you're doing those short haircuts a lot and you're trying to rush them out because of course they pay you on the more haircuts you do in an hour, the more you're going to get commission. <laughs> so you want to do them faster as well. But I felt confident at this point after three months walking into a high end salon, because I was also practicing at home. I would have friends that would, would come in from, you know, Trader Joe's if I was, I was still working there and uh, part-time while I was building my clientele and uh, super cuts and whatnot. And, I was still practicing and I had friends and that I was practicing on with long hair and whatnot. So I felt confident enough to walk into a high-end salon and say, yeah, I've been doing hair for a bit. You know, they didn't really like get too far into it as far as like, where have you worked? How long have you worked? Like it, the, they just wanted to make sure that I was confident and that I could cut hair and color hair and do whatever I needed to do. So I brought in a model and did it there at the salon. You know, they checked, the owner would check in with me every so often and, and uh, he, I think a lot of it was timing and I think a lot of it was too, you know, maybe they wanted another man in the salon. <laughs> so there could have been a lot of factors to it, but I think mostly most important thing is that they, they could see that I was confident and that I was willing to show up and, and give my best. And I was open to learning and, and critique. Uh, and, and, and then I got a job and, and I went from one, you know, after three months charging $15 a haircut to charging $65 for a, a men's haircut. And, and that was how I started in the high-end world. So I did that for maybe two, two years, two and a half years, three years. And while I was doing that, I would, I would always, uh, maybe every few months, I would take a Tony and Guy four or five day training class and travel around and do that so that I could bring those new skills. Vidas Sassoon, bring those new skills. I was watching DVDs, Robert Chromians, back when he had just DVDs flying around everywhere. And uh, it was so cool not to actually know him personally. I mean, how freaking cool is that? I know you do too. It's just, um, it's I grew amazing. up watching him and <laughs> learning from him and he inspired me. And I'm like, now I can like call him on the phone and be like, what's up, Robert? How you doing? Love and he'll know it. who I am. And he'll, he'll, you know, he talks about me sometimes. Like he talks about you. It's very cool. So that's, <laughs> yeah. So that's like a dream come true in that. Uh, so I'm doing this and the difference between doing hair then at a salon, doing hair now at a salon, there was zero social media. It was all marketing as far as like, I had to walk in and meet people on the street. I had to print out flyers and hand out that building a clientele took forever. It took forever. I, I didn't have a full clientele even after three years. And then I was, I was, I just didn't know like what, what to do, how to, how to, how to do it, um, uh, and build that clientele. So I wanted to change. I wanted to, maybe it was a, maybe it was an area thing. Maybe I just needed a fresh start. And in my life, I've taken lots of fresh starts and it's always been very beneficial. So I just wanted to to do something different. And then if, as it turned out, I met somebody, uh, fell quickly uh, in, in lust with her. 
I was going to say in love, but it, it was lust. When I look back, it was, it was just lust and, uh, and end up, ended up making a decision, which may not have been the wisest decision in my life, but you know, everything seemed to have served, it serves a, a bigger goal and a purpose. And I ended up moving to Texas working for Tony and guy, which that was the cool part about it. But I got into this relationship that wasn't very beneficial and I wasn't making much money. I moved into her world with her friends and I didn't have any, anything of my own. And I was trying to make ends meet, but she was the breadwinner because she had clientele and she was actually a hairdresser as well. Clientele and she had, she had income. I didn't have any income. I was trying to build a clientele again, but I was starting at ground level at Tony and Guy. And, and there you're taking, you're like level one and she was like a level 12 or something like that. So it, it wasn't like really good in the structure of our relationship either where I was always trying to play catch up and she was basically supporting me. So that, that didn't help things either. And, and then one day looking toward the future, I remember that she had said that, you know, uh, the things aren't going well. Um, it, if you're a hairdresser, you can't be with me because you're, you're never going to be able to support a family. You're never going to be able to, to give me the life I want. And, uh, and I, and because I had always been, been told to, you know, do whatever it takes, you know, make the family first, like, figure your shit out. Um, I decided to quit hair because I didn't see a future in it. And this was 2007, 2008. I absolutely, I quit hair and I, and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I can to, to make more money. And I quit doing something I love because I didn't see the future or potential of it. And I ended up um, getting a big boy job. The first thing I could find on Craigslist. And it was like the movie off the space cubicle hell. I was in traffic in the morning, in traffic in the evening. I had, there was this floor of probably 60 people, all in these tiny little four by four cubicles. I didn't know the person next to me. Everything smelled like Windex and cake because it was somebody's birthday every single day because there was such a big company. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I was just, I fell into a deep misery and even further depression. And I've always kind of been, had a depressive part of myself my entire life and anxiety as well. Uh, and, 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 but, and then as you can probably imagine, the relationship just wasn't going in the right direction. So we ended up calling it quits. At that time, I decided that I needed to get out of Texas. I was in Texas and Texas just didn't sit well with me anymore. And I didn't really have a life there. It was her life. And I, I just wasn't finding my place there. So I decided to move back to California, back to Santa Barbara, back to the last place that things were working. And, uh, and in that time, I tried some other things. I didn't see hair as being a thing. I didn't still didn't see the potential in, in becoming a successful hairstyles because there just really weren't any at the time. I mean, yes, there were, there were your Robert Chromians and these showmen and these celebrity hairstylists, but there weren't people like us that could rise from practically nothing and, and, and make a business and, and a name for ourselves and actually make really good money because of it. That just wasn't a thing. It wasn't possible because it wasn't social media. Yes. You have a question. I see you with your hand up. I'm raising <laughs> my hand. So I just have to like, as a coach, I notice patterns in people and I have a pattern that I see in you. Mm -hmm. May I share? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> I heard this quote from Brene Brown and she said, unused creativity isn't benign. It metastasizes. Like it turns to cancer. Mm -hmm. And like everything that you've done where your depression and misery comes out is when you choose certainty 
and come and like what other people want, like staying the same and like not using your creativity. Literally you creating someone else's dream is like cancer. Yeah. Does I, that land I absolutely with you? get that. It totally does. No, I totally get that. But absolutely. Like, when you were talking about like you fell into another deep misery in the cubicle, mm -hmm. it's because your creativity and like, I think that ADD and ADHD, like I have ADD and ADHD, like, and it's like my creativity being unused. Mm -hmm. and, and I was trying to live somebody else's life. I was trying to be somebody that totally, wasn't inherently totally. me. But that was your parents too. Mm -hmm, absolutely. You know, so it's just like anytime that your creativity was just like, your creativity is so powerful. And that's why you're such an amazing entrepreneur among a million other reasons. But like your creativity being able to be unleashed is what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. And like that quote, cre unused creativity isn't benign, it metastasizes. And I heard that from Brene Brown, like, Brene Brown, like mm -hmm. a year or two ago. And it just came like straight to my head. Mm -hmm. Like when you were talking, I was just like, oh my God. I was like, anybody listening who feels that like mundane, like who can relate to what Ryan's saying too? Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't know. I just wanted to share. And I know I cut you off completely, but I wanted no, not to at share all. it. No, not at all. That is like so obvious. And like for me to like working in the restaurant, like mm -hmm. that's some kind of craziness and fun and uncertainty and it mm -hmm. keeps things interesting. But like as an entrepreneur myself, like when I'm utilizing my creativity to its full strength, that's when I'm the happiest. Mm -hmm. I, I feel that completely. And I, I think that creativity is also just allowing your soul to express, express itself uh, fully. Yes. And and the more that I'm able to do that, as opposed to trying to fit a role, the more free and happy I, I always feel. Yeah, totally. I just think that's like such a beautiful message. Thanks. Like I yeah. love that. Anyway, yeah, that, that's a great quote. That was my question. I raised my hand. I was. Just <laughs> I know that was that was awesome. Um, oh, where uh, where was I? I was talking about. Do you remember where I was? My brain stopped <laughs> when you were saying mundane cubicle. Oh, yes. My right. Brain, the cubicle so life. My brain stopped there, back. but I know that uh, you moved. Then you were saying that you yeah. moved back and you were talking about ending that relationship. But mm, my brain so, stopped because I noticed the pattern and that's how gotcha. that's what happens to me. Um, just because I'm always looking for that, like subconsciously. But yeah, so you broke up with this person. Mm hmm. So yeah, I, I broke up with the person. I moved back to Santa Barbara. Um, and then, uh, then yeah, so then I started to try other, other things again, cause I didn't think, I didn't see the potential in, in being a hairdresser. Uh, I didn't see myself. I wasn't with celebrities. That's I what you were this saying. Big showman. Yeah. You were saying I just you didn't, didn't see the see potential. Yeah. I didn't see a future in it. So I'm like, well, what else can I do that doesn't require a lot of education? Because I've already gone that route several times and, so I'm like, okay, well, you know what? Real estate seems like a cool thing. A lot of real estate agents are here and everywhere, every every park bench and bus bench you can see. And, you know, they all look happy. They're all smiling, hands crossed, confident, right? So I'm like, hey, let's try that. And California real estate, obviously, we know is, uh, you know, a desirable place to live and prices are in incredibly uh, inflated because of the location. So I'm like, hey, you could probably make a pretty good commission on that. So I ended up getting my real estate license and then, and then trying real estate again, I hated the real estate lifestyle. I was, I was, doing, um, 
taking these classes about how to get new clients. And of course, I'm this like young looking guy, don't own a house. Why would you trust me with your money? I've been bankrupt, I'm spending money again, building up debt again, because I'm like, you know what? I'll sell my first house and I'll, and I'll make that money back. So I'm falling into these patterns. Here's another pattern for you, you know, um, didn't learn the first time. So I'm following those same type of patterns and, and I'm, I'm knocking on doors. I'm like going to these different neighborhoods. I'm like, this neighborhood looks nice. One of the methods for finding new homeowners is, you know, go to their home, knock on the door and be like, Hey, my name's Ryan. I'm, I'm in the area here. I'm a, I'm your, your realtor in the area here. Uh, are you thinking about selling your home? And so basically you're just, it's a terrible, terrible existence. I mean, you have to be so tough mentally to rejection because you're you're getting doors literally slammed in your face. Uh, people are peeking out, like go away, no soliciting. You're walking through dates, uh, gates. You got dogs barking at you, and you do this for you know an hour or two a day to get a lead or two, and maybe an email address. Maybe have a, a meaningful conversation with one or two people, and then you're, you're just you're constantly trying to sell yourself. And I feel like it's very outdated the way that they approach doing it. But it's like how else you're going to meet people to find out if you're going to, if you don't have a network of friends already, because most people that are agents and they've been doing it for years and years, not only do they own at least one home, several homes, they, they usually, the, the most successful ones have already like taken over these areas. And like, you just know, this is who you go to. Everybody goes to them. They're expert networkers. I wasn't a great networker. Uh, but then in this time of, of being a, a real estate agent, i met this guy who who kind of saw, I guess, this fire inside of me that it's like, he really wants to do something. And, and I, he's very, he's young, he's knowledgeable, he's techie, we, we became friends. Uh, he was considerably older than me, um, but he had big ideas. And I was like, the smart young guy that could help put them all together. So we started to create a business together. And it was more about, uh, he, he introduced me to a Brennan Burchard and Brennan Burchard, um, I think he was even did start doing it way before Tony Robbins really became like this was this great internet marketer uh, and created these digital products to sell people whether courses, programs, et cetera. And he was just killing it with that. So we decided to kind of follow in his footsteps and create these digital products for real estate agents so that they can, we could get this RMR, the recurring monthly revenue. And we started to create these, these in-depth products about like, you know, you can uh, create these marketing tools, um, captions things because instagram started to become a thing it was still very very young but um it, it, we, we were just helping them create marketing materials and we had these big visions to make their job easier with these digital assets uh, unfortunately most real estate agents are lazy as fuck <laughs> like all they want to do is go from one happy hour to the next and literally most agents that i ran in with the, the successful ones you never saw because they were out selling they were out networking at you know, big parties, but they were selling, they were knocking on doors, et cetera. The rest of them, the 99.9% .9 that make less than a teacher's salary a year, the ones that call themselves real estate agents, throw their card around at happy hours, they just go from one happy hour to the next, to the next, and they're just alcoholics, basically. And they, they don't, they talk about big game, but they never actually mix with anybody besides other real estate agents. It's it's the most backward type of, of business ethic that I've ever seen. Um, so I'm like, I don't want to be them, um, but I'm trying to sell to them. So how's that going to work? Right. It's like, I'm selling to people that aren't actually willing to do any work anyway. So 
we got initial people to buy, but then they would want refunds because they weren't actually using it. And, and the product that we were creating was a great product, but people weren't actually going to put it into action. So it tanked pretty quickly. And once again, I have to say I invested way too much money my own and, and I was broke and, uh, and I, and I got to a point where I, I couldn't even afford my rent anymore. I couldn't afford my car. I couldn't afford my phone. And I, I look back even from our conversation today and how my father had written me a check and paid off my debt. I, and I looking back I, and I, I almost think that like as amazing as a gift that that was, it didn't teach me anything. It didn't, it, it, it cause I, I had somebody to come and save me. Finally, I, I didn't have somebody to save me and I wasn't going to ask again and they weren't going to give it to me. Yeah. I had to learn it the, for myself. Yeah. That reminds me of the butterfly story. Have you ever heard the butterfly story? No. So no, this tattoo I have right here, it's the butterfly story. That's the significance of it. But mm -hmm. it's all about a little boy finds a butterfly who's hatching from a cocoon. It's a caterpillar in a cocoon. It's supposed to be a butterfly. And he sees it moving. He's like, oh my God, this shit's going to fucking hatch. Mm -hmm. So he's like mm -hmm. sitting there watching it and he's like the shit is gonna hatch like right now and it starts like moving around like rapidly like oh my god uh -huh. it's gonna hatch and then it just stops moving and so like he's like fully invested in this butterfly and he's like um are you dead so he takes a little piece of scissors and he uh slits it open and he opens the cocoon so the butterfly can get out mm -hmm. and the butterfly literally crouches around with shriveled wings because the struggle it takes mm -hmm. to get out from the cocoon is what runs all the blood to the butterfly's wings. So like when you don't have the struggle, mm -hmm. it actually hurts you in the long run. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because when you said your dad paid off your debt, I was just like, must mm -hmm. be nice, Ryan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm like, shit, uh -huh. but I'm glad it comes back to that because it doesn't teach you like you need mm -hmm. to have the struggle. And sometimes your biggest struggles, which I'm sure in your story, Ryan, like you wouldn't be where you were today if you didn't go broke how many times? Uh, this next one was the biggest one. Well, yeah, I, I think honestly three times but it reminds me of the <laughs> butterfly story of like that struggle is a gift mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know but that Absolutely. reminds me exactly of that you're just like my dad didn't pay off my 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 parents paid off my dad it was the greatest gift ever but like it didn't teach you what you needed to learn mm -hmm. in that moment and you're almost learning the same lesson mm -hmm. absolutely and now i'm actually taking full responsibility for it which before it's like i was broke and i got saved right and, and I, when I say I was, I, I went broke three times, I, it was, it was really twice to where I couldn't pay anything. The first time I realized I was really far in debt and then I got one of those consolidation programs and then that became too much. And then of course, that's when my dad rescued me. Uh, the second time though, I, again, I was equally in debt, probably 30 K 40 K something like that. Ridiculous. I wasn't even, I wasn't even going to ask for help. I wasn't going to do it. I realized that I'm, you know, an adult now I need to take responsibility for my actions only thing I can do is declare bankruptcy and as painful as that was to even think about and do, I decided that was the best thing for me because it was the only thing that was going to teach me a lesson. And I did it purposely without asking for help because they probably would have helped me if I had gone and crumbled up and cried and, but then I, I wouldn't have learned anything. And, uh, and I, and I, and I, and I declared bankruptcy knowing that it would be on my credit for 10 years, whatever, however long it's still on my goddamn credit. <laughs> I think I have like two more years left and then it's like finally wiped off. But this was only eight years ago that I declared bankruptcy. Um, and, uh, and, and thankfully it wiped out 
most of my debt, I think I still had to pay back my, my student loan and whatnot, but credit card debt's completely wiped out, um, et cetera. But that was like such an eye-opening moment for me because I was starting again from scratch, from the bottom. I was living in a new area now. I didn't, I hadn't done hair in forever. And, uh, and after the whole real estate thing didn't work out, I realized that the only thing I really enjoyed in my entire life leading up to this career-wise was doing hair. So I wanted to start getting back into hair. Of course, I was really starting at zero clients. I had maybe five friends that wouldn't pay me for a haircut because I was doing it for free or I was doing it for beer on the weekend, you know, something like that, um, that I need to, I need to get back into a salon. So I got a, I, I got a job at Starbucks um, because it was the most flexible thing I could find it was a barista. And that is a really freaking tough job. I mean, they, they, it's, it's tough. They really run you like if every, minute your account to be doing something. So I worked at Starbucks and I, and I started booth renting at this place um, and started building up my clientele very slowly doing that. Uh, but I was actually making such an effort to make it work as fast as possible because I didn't want to struggle longer than I had to. I hated working at Starbucks. It was a really tough job. I loved all the coffee they gave me, but that was uh, pretty much the only reason I really enjoyed it. Uh, and, and what I was doing there, I'm like, okay, I got to really take my, my growth and my success into my own hands. So I was, when I didn't have a client in my chair, which is pretty much all the time at first, I was reaching out to all of my past clients, friends, anybody that I had touched their hair. And I started to build up my Yelp reputation. I said, would you do me the honors of uh, saying something nice about me on Yelp? Give me a positive recommendation. I, it's going to help me. I'm starting in a new area now and every five-star review helps. So I started doing that from day one. I was also walking the streets, making an effort to talk to at least 10 people a day, 10 strangers that I had never met, walking up to them, handing them a business card and saying, I love your hair. If there's anything I can ever do, please let me know. And I would walk away. If a conversation started, that'd be great, but it wasn't my goal. My goal was to break the ice, hand them my card. And I call this my, my um, specialty card, which it said blonde specialist on there. It wasn't just hairstylist. I wanted to build a blonde clientele. I wanted to start, um, I, this is before I even did balayage, but I, I loved creating blondes and I would hand out this blonde specialist card. And then I started to get calls here and there. And, and I would even walk up to, to, um, people at coffee shops and say, Hey, you know, I'm new to the area. I love your hair. I have a salon right down the way here. I'm, I'm working at a salon down the way here. If you want to come get a haircut or a hair color, I'll, I'll do it complimentary. I just, you know, I'd love to get you in the chair. And, uh, if you like the result, I would really recommend, uh, appreciate a positive recommendation on Yelp. So all of these different, these different, um, marketing aspects I did, which really it was, it was a lot more than just posting something on social media because social media wasn't a thing yet. It wasn't really big yet. It, it was, it, it really took me out of my shell and really started to create me as a, as a go-getter. That's how I built too. And it was like right on the cusp of when social media started, but you like right before like that work ethic mm -hmm. and that going up to somebody and like getting doors slammed in your face, like listening mm -hmm. to your story, Ryan, like everything that ha it's like all such a gift in disguise and probably fucking pain in the ass, but like, <laughs> you know, that it's that, been worth it. <laughs> a lot of people can today, a lot of people today, mm -hmm. you say, Oh, go walk up to somebody and, uh -huh. and risk being rejected. And they're like, absolutely not. Right. And it's not because they're, they're just like terrified of rejection but like right. that I did the same thing and the review right. program is brilliant. You know, I, I'm, I'm a new artist. Any five-star review mm -hmm. is going to help. Absolutely. And what was cool about that too, is because 
most businesses and especially salons weren't focused on Yelp. Yes, they had uh, some salons that had a lot of reviews here and there, but because I was focusing on it like a sales job, I had a spreadsheet of past clients, friends, people that I've actually touched their hair. And I would say, you know, I, I would give myself, uh, you know, kind of like buy or, buy or die kind of a thing, you know, I'd just like contact one made today, check, contact two made today, check. And I would send them emails, texts. Uh, however, I could, when they came into the salon, I would remind them again. And, you know, they were happy clients. So it's not like I was annoying them. I wasn't doing this every single day until they did it. It was just like, you know, sometimes it took nine months to get a happy client to be like, walk into the salon one day and be like, oh my God, Ryan, I'm so sorry. I keep forgetting. I, I will tell, let me do, I'm going to do it right now. And then they'll finally do it. You know, some people just don't yell, but 99% of your clients will do it for you, especially your happy clients. They're just happy. They're not rushing to give you a review because they, at the time they're like, oh yeah, I'm absolutely going to review you. I love you. You're my favorite. Then they get home and they're happy with their hair. They're showing it off and they've forgotten. So it takes that, those gentle reminders, those gentle nudges, sometimes oh, over the course such, of months. Such a good point. Mm -hmm. Like if you're mad, you're going to tell like a hundred people and write absolutely. a Yelp review. But if you're happy, it's just like, oh, I'm happy. This is how it should mm -hmm. be. And it's like, they don't, they're them. They're in the center of their own universe. They don't think about that. And if they forget, it's not personal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And again, they're happy. So it's like these gentle nudges. You know, and it, beca it becomes a game sometimes. You're just like, what about now? What about now? What about now? Okay, fine. I'll do it right now while I'm processing it. You know, and they're happy that they love you and, uh, and they'll eventually do it. And those reviews build up. And before it took me like less than a year and I was one of the top ranked salons in, and I, I just air quoted right there. I said salons uh, in San Diego because I wasn't in a salon. I was one person and I was booth renting. I had more reviews than salons that have 20 booth renters that have been around for 20 years because I was focused on it. And you know what happened? My phone started blowing up. People were finding me all over the county, coming to me, texting me. It was like, boom, boom, boom. In less than a year, I was almost booked solid. I quit my job at Starbucks. I was like really moving fast. And then I had to get an assistant and, and then, and then everything started to, to fall into place from then. And then of course, um, I got into balayage and masters of balayage and Hey, here I am mob studio. <laughs> a lot happened in between there, but, uh, oh but yeah, God. yeah, no, I that's mean, the next chapter. You're, I know that's the next chapter, but <laughs> Ryan, like you, your story is like so amazing because it's like so many people are probably struggling to figure it out. And even, I know I have a lot of non hairstylists that listen too. I know I oh, have a lot awesome. of hairstylists, but mm -hmm. I know I have a lot of non-hairstylists. People are like, I'm a dental hygienist and I listen. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, you know, well, what's listen. cool is that it's, it's a story. There, there are challenges and struggles that everybody has. And because I wasn't grounded in hair, it's just something I fell into. And that's why I was calling myself a hairpreneur. I just, hair is my vehicle to create the life I want to live. And use that creativity. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Um, what are you, so you now, okay. So hairpreneur, What's on your plate right now? Oh my gosh. What's on my plate right now? So you're, do you own the salon still? No, we actually got rid of the salon. Thankfully. Oh. I, I, I'm a terrible salon owner. I don't make money. At, I didn't make much money at owning a salon. It was a great next step from having my own uh, salon suite. So I got rid of I wanted something too. a little bit bigger. <laughs> <laughs> my employee base one. I was mm -hmm. like, I can't do this. Uh -uh. Now I do rental, but like, I understand the salon is a lot. Right. And if you want to make money in a commission salon, it has to be, your main focus. I mean, you need to, to, to run it very rigidly 
and focus on your employees, not wasting product, um, charging correctly, uh, making sure that you always have your chairs filled. I mean, there are so many aspects to a working, running, uh, efficient salon that it's not a life that I really enjoyed doing. I don't want to be a full-time manager. And I feel like that's kind of what you have to do in, in a commission-based salon. Totally. I totally agree. I was like, not open to it anymore. I did it for five years and it gave me so much credibility. It gave me so much experience, but like not forever. And maybe one day, like down the road, my salon right now is actually hybrid. So I do have a couple commission artists working with me. Um, and because I believe commissions, the pathway to booth rental, like I definitely have them like commissioned to eventually be booth rental. Like I don't mm -hmm. expect them to be there anymore um, right. forever. You know, I want them to go as quickly to rental as possible, but I do love training. So I totally understand the salon stuff, but so we're not in the salon. Are you behind the chair still? No, I actually haven't been behind the chair in like two years. Amazing. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. so now you're just focusing on. Uh, right now, I'm sorry, I'm checking the battery levels here to make sure that batteries Okay, it should be fully charged. I just wanted to come. Good. Okay, cool. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, okay, so yeah, what am I working on now? Gosh, Masters of Balayage. We've got the, an insane schedule of education. We've really taken it to the next level. And we're, these aren't, it's not just mob classes anymore. It's like the mob experience from, we're, we're doing bigger classes, but like more structured hotels um, for our two day workshops. That I'm, that I'm pretty much traveling to. We've got our one day classes still, but we've got each year now, kind of taking it from like, say a Tony and Guy collection, um, where we actually are having collections. We have name our looks each year. And this year we've, we're really proud of it. It's called Unity. And especially after last year, COVID year, we didn't have our team together very much. We couldn't see each other. We couldn't really teach much, of course, as, you, as everyone knows. And uh, this year we decided to have some of our own educators help us create the collection. That's why we call it unity. Like this is our, our togetherness year for that. So we created these four incredible balayage looks, which my goal for people learning these is that they can take these looks after the training and go into their salon and, and it'd be cool if they had some of their coworkers that have taken the, the classes as well and, and, and know the collection and, and you can say like, oh, I'm going to do solstice on her hair. I'm going to do nomad. And, and it's like, you know exactly where you're starting, where you're going, how to personalize it if you want to. And that way you can even put it in like your client notes. Like, oh, I did nomad on her on this appointment. And that way, when you look back in three months, when they come back in or six months, you know, if you really wanted to follow the same pattern and, and just update that exact style, you know exactly how to do it. So I feel like having that type of a structured plan is where a lot of stylists, uh, is what a lot of stylists need with balayage as opposed to just starting in the back and just kind of winging it each time. And mm -hmm. I'll do this, I'll do this. And then the results can sometimes vary, but we want to make strategy. sure that you get, yes, it's absolute strategy. And we also teach the why behind it. So of course we've got those classes, which are almost sold out there for the, for the entire year, which is super cool. We've got hero coming up, which is like the Tony Robbins of events, which I'm so excited to, to watch you kill it on stage. I'm going to kill uh, it. Yeah. You're going to kill it. Absolutely. Uh, and we're going to have hundreds of people there for that event at well at Clearwater beach, Florida. And, uh, so pumped for that. We're going to be doing that once a year, um, probably around the same time each year, you know, at some different kind of a location for the retreat experience. Um, and then it. I've got, Balayage Online, which is our online training. And I think one of the coolest things about that is, is our Balayage Masters program. We call it BMAP. But our Balayage Masters program, which is a 90-day instructional course that I teach, 
that takes somebody from absolute zero to becoming a, a mob certified balayage master in 90 days by following a structured plan. And that has taken off. People all over the world are taking it every day. We're sending out certificates all the time. It's so cool. And uh, I created that actually last year, last, uh, last summer, uh, finished it up. Um, the, we've had our online education for a while, but, but that, I feel like that's been like what it's been missing that certification program. And it's, it's so cool. That's amazing, Ryan. That's yeah. my vision for my mastermind too, is to have that certification, the master Silas. Like I totally amazing. see your vision and it's so awesome to watch it come together. And I only like, I totally understand building an online business. It's like, it starts mm -hmm. with a dream mm -hmm. and you, fi you figure out like what, and to see how yours comes together is so inspiring. Like, thank you. Especially for me too. Cause like I'm doing you know, in my own niche, mm -hmm. similar things. Definitely not balayage. I'm not a balayage person. <laughs> like, like, please go to Ryan for balayage. <laughs> right. Well, I see some of your foiling and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not, not for me. I mean, I you're know, a master at like, it. You crush it. Yeah. So, so inspiring to see it all come together for sure. Thank you. Like, Thank I you. love it. And I'm just so happy for you. I'm really honored to be a part of the uh, mob hero retreat super excited for that um i know that we're tickets are selling mm -hmm. already on sale and they can use my code gina10 oh yeah um, save 10 percent off a ticket we've got two different ticket options one is the two-day vip which is a little bit more expensive but you're gonna get a lot more with that and all the information is on the website and i think you said you're gonna include a link somewhere yeah i'll put a link on the um okay. i'll put a link in the description for everybody to check it out but um, you guys check it out. And if you're on the fence about getting it, use my code Gina10 and you'll save 10%. Awesome. It's going to be so cool. I'm so pumped. Amazing. You're like, going to go there and you're going to be like, wow. Okay. This is amazing. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I need to get away too. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> I love it. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I'm sure this is the first of many podcasts we're going to do um, here. I hope so. Yeah. We've already been on yours. Like we, uh -huh. I love working with you. So it's just going to be great. Um, everybody go follow Ryan, show up at the hero retreat, check out his balayage online certification. He's doing it. And you know, Ryan, you just show what's possible with a cosmetology license. You know, you, you thank do you. it and you do the same. You put thank you. You put it on the line. And I always love connecting with people like you. So thank you so much for your time. And everybody, thank you for listening. And we'll see you on the next one.